All right, Luke seven thirty-six through fifty. We read our verses this morning. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then, turning toward the woman, he he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say Uh, among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for these verses. We thank you for this story. Um, And we pray that you would help us as we think about it together. I pray, God, that you um, you would increase our thankfulness that you would help us to see in a new way, in, a, in, a, in maybe even in a better, clearer way today, just how great your forgiveness is through your precious Son. And we pray, like Dale prayed at the beginning of the service, there's someone here or, or, or people here who have not seen the forgiveness that Jesus offers, have not believed that this is what they need and trusted in it for themselves. I pray, God, today, by your Spirit, this would be the day that that happens in their hearts. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are faced with three important questions. We're going to look at this. This is a little bit of a bizarre story. It's a little bit of an uncomfortable story that we're looking at this morning. And as we do, it's, we're, we're, going to, we're going to be faced with three important questions. Um, are you a great sinner? Are you completely forgiven? And is Jesus the guest of honor at your house? Those are the three questions for our sermon this morning. Are you a great sinner? Are you completely forgiven? Is Jesus the guest of honor at your house? 
think through those three questions together. The first question this, this story forces us to deal with, are you a great sinner? Are you a great sinner? So the scene here in Luke chapter 7 is a, it's a fairly common one. This is something that would have happened often. Okay, so this is, this is probably a Sabbath meal. Most scholars, historians will tell you that this is most likely one of the many times that Jesus would go and he would, and he would speak at the local synagogue. Right? So the, the, the local synagogue would, would invite him to come, he would speak, and then after that, some, some high-ranking religious person in town um, would invite them, invite him over, because he was the guest speaker, invite him over to be his guest at a Sabbath meal. So the guest speaker and then, then important people would, would recline around the table, but then anybody, it was like a, it, it wasn't an invitation-only event, anybody could come in, and they could, and, and just people from the town could come, and they could, they could stand around the room while, while the, the sort of the important-ish people gathered around the table, but you could stand, and you could stand like around the room and listen to the conversation. And, and people loved to do this because you had like this guest speaker, and then you had all the religious bigwigs, and so this is gonna be, this is your kind of thing. This is a big conversation. This is a, this is a interesting con- conversation. So people would come, and they would come and they would stay and they would listen for a while. They could come as they, go as they pleased. So this is a pretty common thing. Now, uh, it's, it's all very normal until the woman comes in. Then things are no longer normal. The rest of this is just something that no one would have been expecting. She comes in. She has that alabaster flask of ointment. She's weeping. She's like, she's weeping profusely. Um, and she is, she's, she's weeping all over his feet, then she's drying his, his feet with her, with her hair, and she's kissing him, and, and she's anointing him with, with the ointment. This is, I mean, and, and the, and the Pharisees are looking at each other like, this is, this is no good. And, and Simon, who, who invited Jesus, is thinking to himself, what is going on? If he was truly a prophet, he wouldn't allow this, this, this woman is a sinner. The uh, the thing is, that's how Luke describes her too. I I'm always interested in in history. I'm a I've told you before I'm a I'm a history nerd and uh, and I'm always interested not only in just reading history books but thinking through why did the historian put that in the book. Why did the biographer put that in the book and not put other stuff? Because you you only have so much. Um, you know, you only have so much ink that you can use on a book, on a, on a story. So you have to decide what goes into the story and what doesn't. It's fascinating here what Luke doesn't put into the story. I think that if I was writing this, if I was just going to write this story, um, I would probably have included this woman's name. We have no idea what, what her name is. We don't know what city this happened in. We don't know why she's considered a sinner. We don't know what her great sin is. Jesus says her sins are many. He's going to say that at the end of the passage. We don't know what those sins were. We don't know. Those are all interesting things to me. I think if I was writing this, I would have included all that stuff. That stuff is not important to Luke. 
I found that fascinating this week as I was thinking through this passage. Uh, A lot of commentators, and they're probably right, a lot of scholars um, think that she was a prostitute. That was her great sin. That's why she was known as a sinner. And that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. There are some other theories about what she might have been, why she was considered a great sinner, but that's the one that's most likely. The thing is, Luke doesn't care. Luke doesn't get into what kind of sinner she was because part of the lesson here, part of the point that Luke is trying to make is that a sinner is a sinner is a sinner. If you're a prostitute, you're a sinner. If you're a self-righteous jerk like Simon the Pharisee, you're a sinner. If you grew up on the streets, you're a sinner. Or if you grew up like me, growing up in church, making fun of people who grew up on the streets, you're a sinner. Prostitute or self-righteous jerk, it doesn't matter. Both are sinners Both need Jesus. The other thing Luke doesn't get into here, which I find very interesting, is why... So, for instance, let's just pretend she's a prostitute. This this works with any kind of sin she might have have been into, but but why, if, if... if she was a prostitute, why, why did she get into that life? I mean, if you, if you were to poll, if you were to go and, and um, interview 10 first century prostitutes, I don't know why you'd want to do this, but if you did, if this was just like, if you, could, you had a time machine and this is what you chose to do, I'm going to go interview 10 first century prostitutes. That's, that seems like a good use of my time machine. So that's what you do, and you go and you interview 10 of them. Nine of them would have some sort of tragic story. Like, none, none, of, none of them said, that's what I want to be when I grow up. None of them said that. Something happened to them. Their husband died. Their husband left them. Something happened where they felt like they had no choice but to do this. That's almost always the case. There's always a backstory. There's always tragedy. Luke doesn't care. He doesn't care. Because the problem is not what has happened to her. Her problem is not what has happened to her. Her problem is she is a sinner. Her problem is the same problem that you and I have. We are sinners. I mean, if you, if you interview any sinner, you're gonna find out that they have a lot of ways where they have been sinned against in their past. They have a lot of pain. They have a lot of suffering. There's a lot of stuff that's kind of led up to some of the terrible decisions they've made. It goes for the prostitutes. It goes for the self-righteous, arrogant churchgoers. It goes for any kind of sinner living in any kind of sin. The fascinating thing here is Luke, it doesn't even matter to Luke. The important thing, the thing he wants to be of utmost importance in this story is that she is a sinner. That's her story. That's her problem. And so the, the, the question that this passage forces us to deal with is, are you a sinner? Am I a sinner? You said, this is a terrible Mother's Day sermon. I don't know. I kind of like it. <laughs> and the, you, the, all the, this is the last sermon the, the Grace College students are going to hear from me. They're all going um, back to this wherever they go to church in the summertime. The pastor's nowhere near as good. And, and so... I want to make sure that they get a one good, good one. And so you're a sinner. You, want, you hear that, mothers and Grace College students. Be warm, be fed. You're a sinner. All right. This is the question we have to, we have to deal with this morning. 
This is the question that's being forced upon us. Are, are you a sinner? Am I a sinner? And if we don't start with that brutal honesty, we will get nowhere. And the thing that we have to understand is that if you are a sinner, and if I am a sinner, and we are, it's, it's not because of it's not because of what has happened to us in our past. Like, I, like, the, like if you, you, you know, some of you have been uh, abused by your dad or your mom. You have been, you have, your, your spouse has, has caused you intense pain. And I am really sorry that you've had to go through that. I am genuinely sorry that you have to go through all of that. But, but listen carefully, that's not why you sin. And, and I know, you want to know how I know that's not why you sin? It's because I'm just as bad of a sinner as you are, and my parents were never, they never abused me. My wife has been far better to me than I could have possibly deserved. And I'm still just as bad a sinner as you are. That's not what causes us to sin. That's not our main problem. It's not. Some of you have, have chronic pain or de- dealing with, with mental or, or emotional or physical illness that's just kind of with you. And I hate that. I can't wait for all things to be made new. I pray that Jesus heals you. But that's not why you sin. That's not your main problem. And, I, and you want to know how I know it's not why you sin? It's because I sin just as much as you do. And, and for whatever reason, at least as of today, it could change. Like in any minute now, it could change. But for whatever reason, God has seen fit to steer clear any kind of serious pain, sickness, illness away from me. It's probably because I live so healthy. It's because I eat all those salads and I'm always hitting the gym. Uh, Rob, Rob Newford. Rob Newford has seen me at the gym, and by the gym, I mean I'm at the Y watching my son play basketball while he's going to lift weights or whatever. But hey, I, we were, we, I was technically near the gym. I actually, I was thinking about this when I was, when I was getting the sermon ready. I think I'm going to start a, um, a uh, fast food restaurant called The Gym. Um, I mean, I'm just gonna, then, then everybody just go hit the gym. I, I don't know. I love it. I'm, uh, anyhow, don't, I'm trademarking that. Don't steal that. You're not a sinner because of your, your, your illness and your pain. I wish, I wish you didn't have those things. You're, you're not a sinner because of the way you've been mistreated. I wish that stuff didn't happen to you. And I, and I think it's perfectly fine to try to, to try to adjust for that, and try to think through um, what that means and, and, and best ways to cope with that, that's fine. But that's not anywhere near your main problem. And it's not the problem that, that needs the most attention in your life. Your problem is my problem. We are sinners because we have willfully, purposely sinned against God. We deserve hell. We have racked up a debt against God that we could never pay. You and I deserve hell. We have to start with that brutal honesty. We will never get anywhere if we don't. If we don't start with that brutal honesty, then we'll have no idea how completely forgiven we are. 
I'm a sinner because I have over and over and over refused to worship God as God. I refuse to believe His promises. I have refused to obey His commands. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every single one of us to our own way. Some of us have strayed from God like this woman did in some sort of way in which it just earned her the reputation. When she came into a room, they said, oh, there's the sinner. So some of us have, have, have sinned in these outward egregious ways that everybody knows about. Some of us have strayed from God like this self-righteous Pharisee who is so good at hiding his sin. That's how, that's how some of us are. We are so good at hiding our sin, hiding our lust, hiding our greed, hiding our laziness, hiding our hateful, bitter anger, hiding our arrogance. I, I walked out of Menards the other day. It was my third time walking out of Menards that day, um, looking for, the, for, for one... Um, I, uh, I hate that place. Anyhow, um, and it's not because Menards is terrible, it's because I... Every time I see something that says "do it yourself," I'm personally insulted because I can't do it myself. So any, it's just awful. Anyhow, so I was I was having a moment anyhow, and I came out of Menards, and I and I saw and there's this guy. He's probably maybe maybe five ten years older than me, and he's and he is just yelling at his adult son, who's probably twenty or something like that, eighteen, twenty, twenty-two, just yelling. It was the most obnoxious, ridiculous, embarrassing-looking thing I'd ever seen. The, the, this old this this guy was about to punch his his 20-year-old son, and they were arguing about something stupid. It was just like, it was like that, you, I don't know if you've ever seen the show Jerry Springer, you know what I mean? Like the people just go on that show and they just make fools of themselves. And, and, and I don't even know if that's still a thing, but th- that's the idea, right? It's just, it's just so obnoxious, so ridiculous, so embarrassing. And I sneered at them the way Simon would sneer at this prostitute. I would never sin like that. I have way too much social awareness. I have way too much dignity. I know what's acceptable in a Menards parking lot and what's not acceptable in a Menards parking lot. The problem, of course, is just like Simon, my my sin is just as ugly as the guy who sins out for everybody to see it. And just because I'm way better at hiding it doesn't mean it's any less egregious before God. All we like sheep have gone astray. And the simple, straightforward, life-changing question this passage is forcing us to think through is this. Are you a sinner? Are you a sinner? If we don't get that one right, the next one does us no good. Question number two, are you completely forgiven? Are you completely forgiven? So Simon the Pharisee in verse 39 saw this. He said to himself, is this man, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. She is a sinner. And then Jesus, um, who shows that he is a prophet by reading Simon's thoughts, um, says, I have something to say to you. And he says, say it, teacher. And then Jesus tells him a story. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and uh, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, uh, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see how she has honored me? Do you see this? 
Verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. This is not saying that since she loves me so much, I'm forgiving her sins. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, Jesus, Jesus is, is saying, Simon, you can tell that she's been forgiven because she loves much. She loves much. And you can tell, that's how you can, that's how you can know for sure that she has been forgiven, that she understands just how much she's been forgiven. Why does she love him so unashamedly, so emotionally, so sacrificially? So intensely? Because she's been forgiven. She loves much because she's been forgiven. That's the point of this little story. And, and I, think we can, I think we can safely assume from the way Jesus tells the story of the two debtors that there was a point in, in the, the months earlier where this woman had experienced Jesus, where she had, where she had been forgiven of her sins by Jesus. Luke doesn't say when that happened. But I think we can safely assume that Jesus, the way he tells this story and the way he talks about forgiveness here, that this woman had been forgiven and now she is coming and she realizes that Jesus is here and she's going to come and she's going to publicly honor him for for forgiving her out of thankfulness. Jesus says, this woman gets it. This woman gets it. She understands, Simon, in ways you can never understand because you don't see yourself as a sinner. This woman gets it. Imagine if you, imagine if if, if you, um, well, this is, imagine if me, imagine if I lose my job tomorrow. Um, uh, what you guys just have a meeting after church, and you just say, you know, what we should do this Mother's Day, vote the pastor out, and so you just you just vote me out, and I lost my job. I've still got about 29 years to pay on my house, so I'm getting close. I'm 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 getting close. I can, I'm counting it down, right? I got 29 in a little bit, a little in a few months to pay for my house, and I can't find a job. I can't find a job because the only people I use for references are you goofballs and you won't give me a reference. So I'm stuck. I go to the bank. I go to the bank manager and I say, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. And he says, you know what? Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll, we'll take care of it. You just, you just have the house. We'll take the next 29 years of payments. We'll take them off your hands. We got lots of money. I know you have a bit of a cash problem. You're fine. Would that ever happen? It did. For every one of us who's in Jesus Christ. Only infinitely more. This this woman owed a debt she could never pay. She owed a debt she could never pay. Like like us, we owed a debt to God we could never, never pay. And so when Jesus says to her in verse 48, your sins are forgiven, I don't usually get into like like Greek tenses and everything because almost always the English is just pretty clear. And it's, but but, the, but the, the Greek does something that English is just really hard to capture in English. And what Jesus is saying there is, is your, your sins have been forgiven in the past. So there's a time when they were forgiven and then, and then they are forgiven right now. And 
all of your sins for all of the future are forgiven. This is a, this is an indefinite, perpetual forgiveness. So whatever you've done, it's forgiven. Whatever you will do today, it is forgiven. Anything you might do in the future, it's forgiven. Jesus is flexing His deity here. He's doing something that only God can do. And He's pronouncing this woman forgiven. Yes, she is a great sinner, but she is completely forgiven. And I love the way Jesus sends her out the door. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Because if you and I will be honest with ourselves this morning, that's what we want. We want peace. We want peace. Whoever you are, if you can hear my voice, you want peace. You want to go in peace. You want your, you want your soul to be settled. You want your mind to be calm. You don't want the anxiety. You don't want the fear. You don't want the loneliness. You, you, you want to be at peace. That's what you want. And you think, you need peace with people. We spend a lot of time. We spend a lot of time on peace with people. And you think you need peace with yourself. We spend a lot of time on that. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with those, but that's not what the Bible emphasizes. And if we don't get this part first, the rest of it doesn't matter. And if we get this part, the rest of it will be a lot better. Because you, you think that you need to stop second-guessing everything and overanalyzing everything. You, you, you think you need to stop worrying what people think of you and if you look okay and if you sound normal, if you're someone people want to be friends with and if they'll ever forgive you, if they'll ever like you or you'll ever feel comfortable in your own skin. That's the stuff that preoccupies us. A peace with others, peace with ourselves. But Jesus does not start there. And he, that's not what He drills down deep on. Jesus is talking about peace with God. Any other real peace we might experience in this world, any other real, unassailable peace that we might experience in this world must flow from peace with God. And that's the peace that He gives this woman. He is saying to her, here's the only war that truly matters. It's the war between you and God. You were born His bitter enemy. And you have been willfully acting like His bitter enemy all your life. You are indeed a great sinner. You, you were not at peace with God. But now you are because I have forgiven you. Here's the question that this passage is asking us this morning. Are you completely forgiven. Do you actually believe that? There is good news for you here. On the cross, Jesus died for you. God, in all of His cosmic generosity, said you don't have to pay a thing for all of your cosmic treason. For all of your sin. You don't need to pay a thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to wipe your slate clean. You don't owe me 29 years. Of, you, don't, you don't owe me any more payments. You don't owe me anything. You don't have to pay for anything ever again. You don't have to pay for anything ever again. You don't have to pay for anything ever again. My Son is going to pay for it all. And when Jesus says something is finished, it's, it is finished. It's over. The debt is completely forgiven. You are a great sinner. You are! And it's 
foolish for us to try to try to say, no, it's because of this, it's because of that, I'm not as bad as that person. It's foolish. And that, I mean, that cuts the legs out from under us. Just own up and say, yeah, I am. I, I because of my sin, I owe a debt I could never pay. Because th- that's when the complete forgiveness that Jesus gives us, that's when it really... really starts to mean something to us. If you are in Christ this morning, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and if you haven't, please do it now. Please just say, yep, I'm a sinner, and I need Jesus to pay for my sin, and I believe that He has on the cross. Believe that right now. And if you do believe that, if you are in Christ this morning, then there is not a thing you have ever done or said or thought. And there is not a thing that that you ever will do or say or think that God will ever hold against you in any way. Jesus says something is finished. It is finished. You are completely forgiven. You are at peace with God. So we have, the, we have the first two questions. Are you a great sinner? Are you completely forgiven? And then finally, number three, is Jesus the guest of honor at your house? Look back at, page, or at verse 44 again for a second. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Jesus is helping us to understand this is how we get traction. Worshiping Jesus, honoring Jesus, living for Jesus, loving Jesus. This is how we get traction by understanding, um, by understanding just how big a sinner we are and how, how forgiven we are. When this woman came into this, um, this would have been, uh, this would have been a very uncomfortable scene. The, the, the people gathered around watching as this woman comes in and, and as she weeps. And, and she, especially as she's, she's weeping and, she, and her, her tears are all over his feet. His, her, her, her tears have soaked his feet. And so she lets down her hair to, to dry his feet. This would have never happened. A, a woman would never let down her hair in, in front of a, a man who was not her husband. This is only something they would have done in, in private. In fact, the Talmud actually says that letting down your hair in front of another man is grounds for divorce. It's a very like private thing to do that only a, a wife would do for her husband. In front of her husband. So this whole scene has everybody uncomfortable. And everybody's thinking about what all this means. And I can only imagine what everybody is thinking. But it doesn't matter what they were thinking. It only matters what Jesus was thinking. And He makes His thoughts clear. 
And he says to Simon, she has done something that you did not do. She has treated me as the guest of honor. It's very clear from these verses that Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus to his house, but then basically snubbed him after that. In in very noticeable, obvious ways, he chose not to treat him as a guest of honor. Simon should have made sure that Jesus' feet were washed. Not necessarily that he would do it himself, but he should have made sure that it was done. Simon personally should have greeted Jesus with a kiss. This would have been something that that they would have done in this culture. To to greet an honored guest into your home, you you greet him with a kiss on the cheek. To not do it is, is, is a public snub. And, he, and I don't know if he would have had to, but if he truly would have considered Jesus to be a guest of honor, he would have also anointed him with oil. Historians, scholars almost guarantee that, that Simon would have done all of those things for anyone else that he wanted to honor. He didn't do any of this for Jesus. The only person who treated Jesus like a guest of honor was a woman who didn't even live there. She was a better host than this Pharisee was. Because she was a great sinner who had been completely forgiven. This is what happens when we see just how wonderful a Savior Jesus truly is. We gladly give Him the honor He is due. He becomes the guest of honor in our homes, in our lives. It will, I mean, in in this woman, it, it showed up in her emotions. It showed up in her emotions big time. And it will show up in ours. The the mercy of Jesus will move us to tears, to singing, to joy. We won't be afraid to show our emotions. It showed up in this woman's generosity. That was an expensive alabaster flask of ointment. And she was glad to use her resources to honor her Savior. This woman made sure that Jesus was honored the way He ought to be. This will be a staple in our homes. And ask yourself right now, is this a big part of my life? Is this a big part of my house, of my family, of my my home? Is this a a big part of of my life? Because if it's not, it's this this hint that that we, we have a a weak version of the Gospel. Not saying we're not saved. Saying we don't understand how saved we actually are. Um, I'm a, I'm a, um, there are many ways I've sacrificed with my children. And one of the most severe ways I've sacrificed with them is um, we don't get the good orange juice with pulp in it. I'm I'm okay. It's okay. I just it's hard for me. So anyhow, we were the other day we were at the Mueller's house and they had orange juice with pulp in it and Haddon's never had that before. She goes, "Ooh, this orange juice has crumbs." Thank you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, it does. It's the good stuff. It's the good strong stuff. This is the kind of orange juice that will get you through your day. It's not that goofy stuff that your siblings like. Watered down. It's got the pulp in it. 
it's uncomfortable to think about the fact that we deserve hell. That's the debt that we owe. That's uncomfortable. We'd rather water that down. We'd rather downplay that. We'd rather, we'd rather make that a little bit easier to swallow. So we let, we'd rather take the edge off that. But when we take the edge off that, we take the edge off of how forgiven we are. When we take the edge off of how bad our sin is, we take the edge off of how good Jesus' mercy is. And it shows up in the, in the way that we live. It shows up in, in how we honor Jesus in our lives. In our lives, it should be clear that Jesus is the hero. Jesus is our hero. Jesus is the the shepherd who we depend upon to to keep us safe and to to give us our daily bread. Jesus is the prophet who we believe His promises are true. Jesus is is the King. We not only cling to His mercy, we depend upon Him for strength and, and rest and daily bread. And not only that, we, we, we not only depend upon Him, we not only cling to His mercy, we not only believe His promises, but we gladly obey Him. We are great sinners, but He is a greater Savior and we are completely forgiven. We remember, yeah, I've done some stuff that I'm not proud of. I've done some stuff that no one knows about. I am not proud of it. But there's not anything I've ever done that Jesus hasn't forgiven. There's not anything I'm ever going to do that Jesus hasn't forgiven. So, so the more that just sinks into us, wherever we go, He will always be our guest of honor. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for the full, free, complete forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. We are nowhere without His mercy. We thank You that in Christ, it is finished. You're not holding anything against us. I pray, God, that that would sink into us more and more and more. And so that more and more and more, Jesus would be the one that we honor with the way we live our lives. Thank You for all of this. In Christ's name, Amen.